Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Today I have been thinking about beauty. Came to me through a social media app I was invited to actually because of this podcast, which is pretty cool. The question simply came up, what is beauty? And the person who is answering this question, for those of you who are not familiar with wisdom, which will be a lot of you, it is a social media app where people can simply ask each other questions and give audible answers in um, the format of about a minute response. You can simply send it to the servers of the social media app, and everybody can listen to it at their leisure, which is pretty cool. Anyways, the person who was answering was a woman, and not without reason, of course, and was pointing out that she had the has had the interesting experience of going through her early early life being considered ugly, and in her later life as an adult, and young adult, I'm sure as well, being considered beautiful. I imagine a number of women have gone through that for various reasons that are obvious to many of us. Anyway, but her answer to the question was that it's something that comes from within. And while I think that I, I personally think that is an oversimplification, it's not too bad. Now, as I continued thinking through this topic, I realized that the difficulty that we have with beauty, especially when it comes to its general first definition being aesthetically pleasurable to look at, the reason why we have a problem with beauty is the fact that it is one of the most embattled and propagandized words that we have in modern day. Modern art, for example, what do we see there? We see anything but that which resembles reality. Compared to that which comes before and some more contemporary or some contemporary artists who are trying to go back to the days when we based uh, when we based our art on actual reality, it's abstractions. Or a very recent piece that I saw where the art piece is two human beings embracing each other, except it's only essentially their torsos in an embrace, which brings some very odd perspectives when you look at it at certain angles. Why has all of this happened? Why have we strayed so far away from the realistic? And now the artistic community praises, specifically praises, that which looks the least like reality, or at least like reality, but torn apart in some manner. We want to talk about what is considered beautiful in the sense of praiseworthy by society at large. I've just been going through a book about... Inter, uh, largely about intersectionality, I've just began it, and it points out the fact that we praise people, for example, who consider themselves homosexual and make that choice, but scorn them if they should ever go back on that same choice. In other words, we exemplify those who abandon their biological sexuality, embracing that which is I wouldn't necessarily say opposed to it, because I don't know exactly what that would look like or mean, but in any case, is not the 
primary function of the sexual organs with which one is born. And I bring that up for a specific reason. I'll probably do a podcast on homosexuality specifically as it comes to the Christian view of it at a later time. I think that would be a very interesting topic. But for right now, I'm just pointing it out as kind of applying to the secondary meaning of beauty. So let me iron that out a little bit more, because I've now talked about two definitions of beauty. The first and primary one, again, being that which is aesthetically pleasurable to gaze upon or to behold. And I think that that still is a very good definition of beauty, and it is really one of the ones most hotly fought in today's world. The second one is, yes, that which comes from within, but this is the one that I've been thinking primarily about. What which comes, what that comes from within is considered beautiful? How would we define that? I don't think anybody has ever really made, at least that I've heard, has really made a genuine effort at defining that. What is inner beauty? What would that look like? What would that feel like? So a lot of what I'm, I'll be talking about today has to do with that second definition, because I think we need to give it a definition that is more than just something pleasant that comes from within, or however people might say it. I doubt that they would put it that simply, but I digress. The first place that my mind goes to is nature. You can, for example, look at a mountain. I live in Colorado, and right at this very moment, I'm gazing on the Rocky Mountains covered in snow. They're gorgeous, and they just sit there. If we could imagine that an inanimate thing like a mountain could have a will, well, their will, it would seem, is simply to sit there and be gazed upon, trodden upon as the case may be, you could say even enjoyed. Or flowers. Much the same. Of course, they have a passing beauty, as it were, with the petals and the passing of day and night and opening and closing. Or you could take even a pedestal, or not a pedestal, but a pillar of rock. Again, in Colorado, we have a number of those. And those, in particular might not be considered aesthetically pretty to look at, going back to the first definition. Yet, of course, if we were to attribute to them a will, they do the same thing as the mountains. They'll just sit there. They don't hide their jagged edges, their awkward crevices. They just sit there, sometimes to be climbed upon, often to simply be looked at, and sometimes even enjoyed. And the reason why I'm using this as my kind of spring point, or springboard, rather, is to point out that whatever the inner sort of beauty is, I think it is when human beings, or at least more conscious beings, but human beings in particular, resemble that a little bit more than the alternatives. Let me explain what I mean. Think, for example, about models and similar sorts, walking down a catwalk, or getting photoed for being the cover of a magazine. 
one of the first things that you're going to notice if you're really paying attention is that those people are doing everything possible, including photo editing after the point, or after the time, to modify their appearance. And what are they trying to modify it towards? Even more aesthetically pleasurable things to gaze upon. They're trying to become less blemished, more perfect. Many women, and it doesn't even have to be on the catwalk, will wear so much makeup that their natural face is unrecognizable. Or at least, you would essentially see them as wearing a literal mask. Or they might be wearing clothing that doesn't just hide their natural physical form, but is so distracting that you almost look exclusively at that rather than at them. Or you could have the person who considers themselves extremely modest, and their modesty displays itself in covering themselves so completely that you can maybe see less than 5% of their actual flesh. And as we all know, when it comes to things like faces, shoulders, hands, ankles, especially in the modern day, these are considered largely acceptable to see. I'm trying to get us to look at two extremes in this case, and the extremes have one thing in common. They're trying to appear to be that which they are not, or, to put it a little bit more precisely, they are trying to hide something about themselves, either by enhancing their beauty or by hiding it. You might, for example, have a woman who is very anxious, and probably for good reason, that she will be gazed upon in an inappropriate manner. So she covers herself almost completely. Now, she may be aesthetically very beautiful, but she's trying specifically to hide it. Now, while I might call that person aesthetically pleasant to look upon, even in spite of the hiding, I would not call her by character beautiful. What I'm trying to arouse in the mind is, well, what is the alternative to these extremes? I would put it as somebody who has aesthetically pleasant features and neither tries to enhance them or hide them. You could call it a sort of contentment. And I think that is, in fact, what is shown when somebody, again, as not trying to enhance or hide. Now, I'm not going to the extreme of being completely unkempt. Somebody who doesn't care to even enhance their good looks in like manner of combing their hair, or washing it, or wearing decently nice clothes. But there is a wide difference between somebody who is essentially content with the way they look and somebody who is clearly not. And I would say that the former, the one who is content with the way that they appear, has at least a portion, a piece, of what would be considered, at least in my mind, internal beauty. Take another similar example, which I think illustrates the same point. Again, I live in Colorado, and there are some people who will walk around in the winter with shorts and short sleeves. And they'll do that as much as possible. And I am not one of these people. And there have been a few times 
where I have noticed that people who are scantily clad by comparison in cold weather kind of look down upon those who don't and wear warm clothing. If I were ever directly asked or teased because I bother to wear a jacket or a coat or a sweater in the middle of winter, my response would run a little something like, I don't have that fragile an ego. Now, I would say that not because I'm assuming that the person who is scantily clothed for winter conditions is trying to stroke their ego, though that certainly may be the case. What I am pointing out is that my ego is the only thing that I would be trying to stroke by being the same as them. So, essentially, the only motive that I could have for doing that is a motive that I don't have. I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone by showing how much I can endure the cold. Now, of course, I also have a heavy lifting job. Sometimes I've worked myself to the point, or heavy, you know, lifted enough things to the point where my body has quite naturally gotten quite warm and toasty. And uh, I don't, <laughs> I eventually doff the coat and perhaps a scarf. Well, I actually wear a balaclava or a head sock, as I like to call it. Very handy for winter conditions because you can turn it into a mask in less than 10 seconds. Anyways, um, yeah, I might doff all of that or take it off, that is. But that's because I'm actually too hot. But again, I'm not doing that for ego-stroking purposes. But if I was walking around in shorts and shirts, short sleeves on a regular basis in winter, it would once, once again be because I'm trying to stroke my own ego. Now, that again, I think, is an illustration of what is going on behind the scenes when people are truly content with the way that they look. They're not trying to show anything off or hide anything. Their ego does not need to be stroked. Or another way to put it is they are not anxious, they are not insecure, at least about the way that they appear. But if they didn't do anything to take good care of themselves, then whatever, the, whatever aesthetically pleasurable attributes they do have, they are actively ruining looks a lot more like the first thing that I brought up, that modern art tries to look less like reality as we go along, it seems. And I think it's pretty much definite. That is a rejection of whatever aesthetically attractive features there are there at all. I certainly wouldn't call that an example of inner beauty. But I don't think that that is the only thing that we can define as the inner sort of beauty. There are other attributes that I think we could call very beautiful in the sense of being of good quality, and perhaps beautiful in the sense of doing good in a community or blessing other people, however you want to put it. It could be, for example, charisma. It could be generosity, charity. It could be gentleness or heroism. It could even be a certain kind of competence. And the person who has these attributes, again, is not insecure about them, not trying to flaunt them or hide them. They are not arrogant about it, nor are they ashamed. It's simply there. 
and they will allow it to show itself if that opportunity, if that moment arises. Or they could go through an entire day or week or months with nobody noticing that it even exists, and that's fine. So, the way that I would define beauty of the inner sort is having that which is worth being looked at and being content with it. And looked at again is given a fairly liberal definition in this case, looked at aesthetically or looked at as a quality of character or competence. And you're simply content with it. You don't need it to be anything more or less than what it is. And I am pointing out that I think in all areas of beauty, there is a certain degree of effort that does need to be put into it. We should have a little bit of striving. We should have a little bit of upkeep. And of course, we all know that when it comes to youthful beauty, it fades for men and women alike. But we can make sure that it's not going to fade in our 20s if we maintain healthy habits. Maybe not even in our 30s or 40s. And that, I think, is respectable also. But that, again, also applies to the secondary definition that we're working with here. If you're upkeeping your health in order to maintain a sort of beauty, or perhaps even the health, but you are clearly insecure about it, in other words, you're trying to defend it because you're scared half to death about losing it, or at least highly anxious about that, then you, again, may be pleasant to look at by comparison to your peers in age, but you may not be very well appreciated for having beauty of character if you're clearly deeply anxious about the way that you look and how healthy you are. Now, there's something else that was brought up, brought up by a friend that I'll mention before we finish. There is a sort of beauty also of development, and I think that this is rather telling. What something is turning into, you could take, for example, the flower that is beginning to, or it has budded and is beginning, beginning to open. And I think that that is very relatable in the human experience. That moment before something spectacular occurs has a sort of beauty of anticipation. I don't think that we would call that moment in and of itself beautiful. But it's what it's telling us, the message that it sends, a firework going up into the sky. We haven't seen the explosion yet, but we see the rocket, we see the sparks, and we're getting ready. We see the bud beginning to open, and we're looking forward to the flowering that is about to happen. We see the first breaths of spring, and we're looking forward to the green grass and the green leaves on the trees, and again, the flowers. Now, what's interesting is that I think when we come right down to it, especially looking at the human experience of physical development, it is also aesthetically one of the least pleasant times for human beings and many other sorts of mammals, etc. as well, probably. It is not when we ha are still in the cute phases of youth, infancy, 
being a baby, which most people would consider very beautiful in its own way, nor are we at the full maturation of the adult body, but rather on a sort of hazy in-between, where limbs can seem to grow a little bit out of proportion, and ears, and so on. And it can all be a bit awkward, especially, of course, for the one going through it. Breasts are just beginning to develop. The full voluptuous frame of a woman has not yet revealed itself. Now, looking at it in this light, going back to the very first thing that I brought up, the progression of art in the modern day, there could be somebody who comes at me, quite understandably, with the counter that perhaps what's going on in art is merely that adolescent phase that doesn't look so attractive. And perhaps there could be a case made for that, and I, as a Christian, could perhaps even see that as being God's perspective on a number of things that humanity is going through. The adolescent phase being, yes, that rather ugly one where we are uh, far less comfortable with our own selves. However, that, I do not think, is the point of what modern art and other things are going through. See, we praise not that which looks like it is in development, but we praise, as a society at large, that which is rejecting what we could call the old ways. And I think that there is a very good reason for this, and I'll go into that in a minute, but just to focus on the point. See, to go back to the analogy or the example used earlier of a human being in adolescence. In order to merge that with what is going on in modern art, we would have to view the adolescent human being trying to go into a time machine and literally kill their infant selves. And if we follow a rather rigid idea of time travel, then that would effectively erase them also. And that is more or less, on a philosophical basis, what modern art and so on, culture, politics, or at least ideas of metaphysics are going through. We are trying merely to reject that which has led to the current point. We're trying to reject quote-unquote rigid moralism, trying to reject Christianity and a number of other religions such as Judaism and Catholicism, although they're both generally considered Christianity, uh, that is, Protestant Christianity and Catholicism. Anyway, and many of the things that we praise in the modern day have that commonality, i.e., they are a rejection of what is considered the general Christian view of reality, or religious and fundamental, conservative, etc. If it rejects that, it's praised. Now, whether or not people have gotten themselves so warped in their perceptions, that they actually do believe that these things are aesthetically pleasant to look at, I don't know. But I would personally consider it rather warped. What I can see is that whatever is praised in the modern culture, at least among the popular opinions, is anything that has rejected, essentially, our foundations. That which our culture has been based upon. Judeo-Christian values, specifically for America. What art is essentially trying to do, and other movements as well as I mentioned previously, 
is society sitting on a branch out towards the, the edge of it, sawing off the part that is close to the tree, connected to the root. And we all know how that story ends. We all fall together. The worst thing in my mind is not for this trend to continue, or sorry, is precisely for this trend to continue, because if it succeeds, it would saw off the branch entirely and we all fall to our dooms. Now, whether or not God sees us in a sort of adolescent phase, I have no idea, and as the scriptures say, nobody knows the mind of the Lord. So I wouldn't venture to guess. But I don't think that that retort has much ground to stand on. <laughs> Not really pun intended there, but I saw it. Anyways, finally, I wanted to point out that this movement in art and politics and so on, I don't think is without merit. Those of you who are familiar with the sort of episodes that I, or the sort of talking points that I've used in the past will know that I'm not exactly kind on the history of Christianity either. I'm very willing to admit the flaws, and if others can give me a legitimate case for more flaws that it's had, I'm very willing to listen. Protestant, Catholic, and conservative values absolutely have led to the suffering of a great many people. And particularly when we are children. What happens is, when we have a rigid set of moral standards that we can at least acclaim, if not live by, then we have a very wonderful stick to smack people with, particularly our children. Now, if we were actually living by those standards, I don't think that this sort of thing would happen. But Pharisees are not just a sort of group that appears in the Gospels of the Bible. It's a human tendency that has always existed, and it goes from generation to generation to generation. And in the previous generation, especially of Americans, it was considered not just common to at least, to not, if not be a Christian, at least um, acclaim Christian values. You were often considered to be, in the public sphere, a good person if you simply acclaimed Christian values. And gradually we have come to the point of realizing, or coming to terms with the very fact, that at least for a while there, and I remember this in my adolescence, if you publicly acclaimed your Christian values, many business owners, CEOs, etc., were automatically going to consider you to be disingenuous. Now why would such a phenomenon like that appear? To me it's very simple. It's Christianity worn not as a set of disciplines and moral values and fidelity to God that you actually wish to live by. It is a claim in Christianity to get points, to get popularity, to get the assumption that you are a, quote, good person. It was a phase, not unlike others that have already occurred in human history since the appearance of Jesus Christ, where Christianity essentially was united with the idea of hype. You could be popular, you could be well thought of, merely for being Christian. That then moved on to essentially what I would consider atheism or uh, scientism, perhaps, 
scientism. I'm not sure exactly how to put it, but you know, when you thought that people who believe that science could give us all the answers. And nowadays, it's essentially, at least in the West, become intersectionality. If you are female, black, gay, etc., etc., you get to have the glitter of modern-day hype. Now, I mentioned that this sort of thing back in the time when Christianity had the hype especially hurts children. Why is that? Well, it's not too hard to grasp. If you were growing up in a, quote, Christian household, but which didn't actually live by those values, what you were really concerned about was not living on a set of values, but you were more concerned about the appearance that you showed to the outside world. You want the outside world to believe that your family is Christian. So who gets the short end of the stick? Everybody who is subservient to those particular parents, i.e. the children. So the children, of course, will bear the full load of living by, quote, Christian values, while the, while the parents often will maybe give some moderate effort to try to do this and that, but behind closed doors, they lie, they beat their children, they're disingenuous, they cheat on their bills, perhaps, however they can. I'm not, you know, and I'm not saying that this existed in it, every individual circumstance, I'm just pointing out the sorts of things that people can get away with behind closed doors while still appearing to be good people in public. But you can't really do that with children. Children don't get hypocrisy, and they have to grow up to figure that one out. And if you doubt me, just talk to a child about anything that seems to be contradictory and look at the puzzlement on their faces. Anyways, so the children are to hold the full force of the, quote, Christian, conservative, Protestant, Judeo-Christian values, while the, par the parents simply get the benefits of looking as if they have a respectable family. And this happened wearily often, and modern-day grown-ups of, or sorry, grown children of, quote, Christian families have borne witness largely to this unfortunate past. And you know what? Unfortunate is unfair. Evil would be the right term. And the fact of the matter is, I believe that this is largely responsible for what we are seeing in the fight against traditional ideas of beauty in the modern day. The reason why we are trying to reject everything that looks like that which is the way God created it to be, is because they are literally correct in that the way things are, the way things are, quote, supposed to be, did them a great deal of hurt. Now again, I'm not trying to say that this is every person. What I am saying is that this is something that has actually happened to a large amount of people when they were children. So that which, quote, stood for the way that things are as they are supposed to be, the way God created them, quote unquote, is the very stance, the very position, at least in values, if not, quote, belief, that has done them so much harm. So I don't disdain the modern day artistic and other 
movements for this for what they are doing i think that they have a legitimate grievance against fundamentalism a lot of it did them real harm but i don't want to end on that note going back to beauty as such i think that when we reach a point that we are content whether or not we happen to have a great deal of those attributes that are generally considered beautiful, everyone can attain a certain level of what is really considered beauty, which I think most people would essentially assume. Real modesty isn't covering everything up. I've talked in an earlier podcast about how the Household with maximum maximum securities is not the secure one, but specifically the vulnerable one. The extra security is an admission of your anxiety and your insecurity. So in the same way, if you're covering everything up, you're admitting the fact, on a subconscious level at least, that you are insecure in the way that you appear to be. And it certainly is not when we are trying to flaunt ourselves in the public sphere. That is simply to make the opposite mistake. And again, it shows an insecurity. Because what you are really showing in that case is that you do not think that what you have to offer is sufficient. But, if you are willing to accept, or if you can get to the place that you accept what you have, maintain it well, sharpen it, and simply be as you are. To me, that is what beauty really looks like. That's all I have for today. I hope, as always, you found it interesting. Until next time.